I got to confess, I'm kind of excited about this message. I've been dealing with studying this for about two months. And I was like, all right, well, here we go. And so, so the title of tonight's message is, Who is My Neighbor? It's a, it's a fresh look at the story of the Good Samaritan. You may have read the Good Samaritan. You may have, you know, understood it. But there were some things that the Lord began to show me in this powerful story. And, and I'm telling you, I, I, I was so excited reading this and starting to really understand what the story was speaking about. So I want to get into the message and listen, we're going to go quite deep, but it's going to be fun. Okay? I got some, <laughs> got some pictures. I want you to see some things from Israel. So let, let's go. So tonight we're going to look at two questions that was asked that prompted the, the, the story of the Samaritan. One of the questions is the question that always, that, that everybody goes to. But we never look at the question that was asked prior to who is my neighbor. Okay? I want you to see that, that way that's in your mind as we can, as we start going. Now this story is timeless and it's one of the most powerful presentations of the gospel that Jesus ever spoke. Now we know that there's a such thing as the Good Samaritan Law, and which is you you help voluntarily when you see someone on the side of the road, and obviously that's a good thing. But they got it from this story. But I wish we would really get the entire story, and we would apply that to our lives. You'll see what I'm talking about. You can read a story hundreds of times. How many of you ever done that? Hundred. I mean, you read and read, and you're like, I don't know if I'm getting it all. And then finally, one day, the light switch goes off. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad to know. <laughs> now listen, this was the first question. Luke 10, 25. How, there, the, the, the question was, how do I inherit eternal life? And then the second question is in Luke 10, 29. And who is my neighbor? Those are the two questions that we're going to look at. And if you get it confused, you could get into works. That's the danger behind this. Okay, let's look at it. Let me give you two quick examples on how to look at this story. When you study the Bible, the Bible will teach things in layers. Everybody say layers. <laughs> Think about this. When you read the story of Joseph, you read that Joseph was sold into slavery, that, that Joseph was thrown into a pit, that he was, that he was arrested, accused of something he didn't do, and then at, at one time he was raised to be the second most powerful man on the face of the earth. You read that, you get it, you understand it, right? The second layer is what they call practical application. It means when you go through something, you may not be in the situation that you, you thought was coming your way, but you find yourself in the situation. And then once again, you're in a situation that you did not expect to happen. It happens to you, but you trust God to get you out of the pit and eventually you go to the palace of your situation, right? That's level two. But then the third level is a prophetic la layer. And it's when you look at the story of Joseph as it pertains to Jesus. 
See, Joseph is a picture of what would happen to Jesus. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was accused of something that he didn't do. Jesus was ascended to the right hand of God the Father to be powerful, all-powerful. So it's a picture of everything that Joseph went to. There's like 90 similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Another example, if you look at the story of Abraham when he was going to sacrifice Isaac, you read the story, you know that Abraham was bringing his, his son Isaac to sacrifice him and you read the story you understand the story you see the story for what it is the practical application is sometimes the Lord may ask you to lay that very thing on the altar that's what we don't like sometimes we stay away from the practical application and say man that's a good story but if you if you do that part of it that's practical application the prophetic imagery is that God did not remove his son from the altar for us so that's how you, you can unfold things that are in the scriptures. Now the backdrop of the story that we're going to talk about is served on a plate of law. So when you, un- you gotta look at context. He's talking, he's talking to some people that know the law. Okay? Now you remember in their thought process, they thought law got them to heaven. They made up all these rules, all these regulations, and they thought they were going to heaven by keeping these laws. So I'm just kind of giving you some, be, before we get into the story. I heard one preacher say that most people would rather highlight their Bible than help their neighbor. You see, the church can get to a place where they become so religious that they lose the fire and passion of why they're the church. So as we look at this story, leading up to it, this is what happens. Jesus appears to have woken up on the wrong side of the bed. We know that's not true, but if you read it, you're like, well, golly, Jesus, he was kind of, kind of abrupt. So he sends the disciples on a mission trip. He tells them what to say. He tells them what to bring, what not to bring. And then he tells them, you know, when you go into somebody's house, lay hands on them and, and they'll be healed, right? That, that's, that's a good thing. Imagine if the Lord told you that. Well, he did tell us to do that, actually. He says to go and lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. So I want to say this. When you read in, in verse 20 and 22 of Luke 10, they came back all amazed because demons listened to them. You know? And Jesus is like, man, that shouldn't shock you. You should be happy that your name is written in the book of life. And at one point, Jesus turns away and he thanks God Almighty that he has hidden things from the wise and revealed them to his children. At some point, these Pharisees are standing by and they're like, hold up, they're just talking about eternal life and we got a problem with that. So I'm going to go see what he says about eternal life. So he, he peeks his obnoxious little argumentative head up and he walks into the circle with Jesus and then we pick up the story in Luke 10, 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is not just a lawyer like a Johnny Cochran or... I can't think of other lawyers right now, but this is a, a, a pharisaical law guy. This guy knows the law in and out. So that's who Jesus is talking to. Now listen, be careful not to lose sight of this one question. Okay? This is the catalyst for the story. Now I submit to you that Jesus answers both questions in the telling of this story. And he also tells them how to love their neighbor. And that's what we need to know, right? 
Some of us might not like our neighbors. But that did. <laughs> so understand also, this was not a sincere question. This was not like, man, I'm really struggling with loving my neighbor. This was a question of like, let's see what he's going to say to this. So they were wanting to make Jesus look stupid at the expense of, of, you know, making him look like a fool. Because remember, Jesus was always, the Pharisees would be sitting down like, yeah, you know, you got to do this, do this, and do this. And Jesus would be like, excuse me, nah, man, I'm, I'm going to fix this situation. But they said, you know, he said, if you, if you, if you, you know, commit murder, right? That's what, that's what he said. If you commit murder, then it's, it's a sin. But I say that if you hate in your heart as, as if you committed the sin of murder. So when you look at that situation, it's like Jesus is making it harder. But why? He's bringing it up to a point. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember that story? They brought, they brought her. They threw her down. Jesus began to write in the sand. Probably was writing their sins or something. They, they didn't bring the guy. He got off scot-free. He was supposed to be stoned. But Jesus says he was without sin, cast the first stone. And we need to remember that in the workplace. Because, you know, some of us just got stones in our Bible. And a lot of people are like, I don't want to hear what you have to say till you drop the rock. And so if you think about it, Jesus said, where, you know, he was without sin, cast the first stone. They all threw their stones down. They backed away. And Jesus said, where are your accuser, accusers? And she said, they're not here. And he said, I do not condemn you. Why did he say that? Did he break the law? No. He said, I'm going to pay for your sin. In, a, in a, a couple years, I'm going to get on the cross and I'm going to pay for that. So when you understand that Jesus never contradicts the law, you understand that you are now empowered to live in grace. Because in Christ, you are now a law keeper. Amen. So think about this. The rich young ruler asked Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, sell all your possessions and follow me. Then he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to him, you know, he was hiding out. He was like, man, I like this guy, but I can't be around my boys. So he went at night and was like, hey, man, what do I got to do to have eternal life? I'm just kind of curious. And Jesus said, you must be born again. But you get to this story, and it, and it looks like he's saying, love your neighbor and you'll have eternal life. Does that give you eternal life? Okay, so that's where the problem of the story comes in. That's where it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. And that's why you have people that's like, well, brother, I just, you know, they got their book, like, well, I just don't know about the Bible. You know, it contradicts itself. And right? That's how that stuff happens. It's by not looking at what the text is saying. It's not looking at what is happening, the culture, all of these things. So I want to dust off the truth of this story. Listen. How many of you know, like, these people wouldn't keep coming to Jesus if they're keeping the law, saying, what must I do to have eternal life? Like, if you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, why is that void still there? Because you can't please God with law. See, their conscious, consciousness was telling them that it's not good enough. Though you jot and tittle, though you come to church, though you do all these things, it's not good enough. It doesn't please God because they're doing it to attain righteousness. That's the key. I'm not saying don't come to church, don't read your Bible. But if you're doing it to be right with God, you're missing the cross of Christ and why the cross had to happen. For our redemption, our right standing with God. Now listen, 
Luke 10, 26 through 27. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I want you to see that part. How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law. So he did that. Now that means we got to do that if you read it as it says. Now to love your neighbor is that word agape. That means you got to love them unconditionally. That means, you know, whether the music's loud, whether they cut you a little bit of your tree, whether they throw trash in your yard, you got to love them unconditionally. We know what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient, kind, not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. How many of you got this right today? How many of you blew it today? Me too. I really did. I, I, you know, one of these situations, see, this is the key. You got to do it all the time. You can't, you can never mess up. Y'all ain't liking law. You can never mess up. Now listen to the last part of verse 26. How do you read it? That means there is a way to read this. Okay? Now listen. The first four commandments is your relationship to us to God. And five through ten is our relationship man to to, to each other. Man to woman, woman to man, woman to woman. Uh, Now let me ask you a question. Do you love God consistently? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Let me see your hand. Okay. Let let, let me give you a little test. If you do that, do you sin? How many of you in here don't sin? Okay, yeah, that's a little better. Because if the thing about it is, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, that means when sin pops up, you got to choose God over this. Because you're putting this before God. If you do that, you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Because God would be the first and foremost. But guess who did? Jesus. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. The entire time he walked on this earth. Now listen. Luke 10, 28. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus is like, oh, this is you answered correctly? Do that and you'll be good. Now how many of you know... Just like in Matthew 19, 17, he told the rich young ruler, if you wish to have eternal life, keep the commandments. Jesus is not saying that this is an attainable situation that you could go do. He knows that. Keep the law and you'll have eternal life. Does that make sense to you? Can can we do that? No one would be right with God. See, the way Jesus interacted with self-righteous people, he brought them the law. And then they were like, oh man, well, I don't do that. But if you came humbly, repentant, he didn't take the law. He gave you grace. The law is there to show you you can't do it. The Ten Commandments are there to say, you see God's standard, you miss it every time, every day. That's why you see Jesus. Because in Christ, you keep the law. That means when you stand before God, you're justified just as if you never sinned because you are in Christ. So when you stand before God, your robes are white. Why? Not because of what you did, the week you had, the month you had, because of the life Christ lived. That's good news. Now, 
It says in Luke 10, 29 through 30, but he desiring to just himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Y'all know a guy like that? Nitpick. Oh, I know you said that, but what about this? No, but no. I, I, yeah, that looked like, I hear you, brother. But what about this? That, that guy. This is that guy. So this lawyer was trying to justify himself. See, that's the key. We don't need to be justifying ourselves in front of God because Christ is the one who justifies us. That's the best news you will hear tonight. That when God looks down at you, he sees Christ. And when you look up at him, you see, you see Christ. And you see God the Father. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So think about this. Jesus could have walked off, dropped the mic on him, but he didn't. He stayed there and he had a conversation with him. He sat there and talked to him. And it's more than a Sunday school class or a lesson in a social gospel. It's life application. Jesus tells stories like the prodigal son. That's a good story. But he's interwoving the story of forgiveness and what he would do at Calvary. If you read the story. So let's read the story now that we're finally here. Luke 10, 30 through 37. And Jesus replied and said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on the road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan was on a journey and came upon him, and he saw him, and he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring all in wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said to him, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. That's a story. And you may only see the top layer, but there's a deeper layer. How awful would it be if this dude would have been like, all right, Jesus, I got this. And then he leaves and he goes and he tries to do everything. Every time he sees a flat tire, he goes change it. He sees somebody drop their groceries. He goes help them. All of these things. He lives his entire life to do these things, only to stand before God. And God says, there was that one time, though. Right? That's not God. But if you give somebody a target, they're going to try to shoot for it, especially if they're already in law. So here's the the key that we got to listen to. The reason, the thing that condemns us before God is the sin that Adam fell. And we have the sin nature. That's the thing that drives you to do ungodly things. That, you know, that thing that pushes that and says, man, you need to do this. You need to go do this. I know, I know this is a good thing to do, but don't you just want to do this? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, <laughs> it's like I know, have no idea what you're talking about, actually. Uh, but if you think about it, that's the thing that condemns you. So even if this guy went out and did all these things, the sin nature condemns him. Because his own righteousness is going to bring it before God and it'll be his filthy rags. So if you look at it, it's not even the ability to love your neighbor perfectly, even if that could be done, which it can't. How many of you can testify to that? You've already blown it already this week. 
Okay, so that's the point. You, you can do this, you can try to do this 100% of the time, but it doesn't deal with the sin nature that drives your lifestyle. And that is the thing that must be taken care of at the cross when Jesus Christ took on our unrighteousness and gave us his righteousness. That's the key. That's why your eyes open and you see things different. How many of you could testify to that? You see, you do things differently. You don't want to do the same things you used to do. Why? Because you're regened. You're regenerated. You took on the nature of God Almighty. So if you look at this situation, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, I've actually went to Israel in 2000, passed down that road, and it it goes like this. I mean, I'm talking a robber could just stand behind a wall, you know, and just jump out and rob you. That was the most amazing thing because it was in like an uphill place that you had to go through when you went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, it was about 15 miles long, but some things struck me as odd as I was reading this. The fact that the Samaritan was going back to repay a half-dead man. Remember that? We read that earlier. The fact that he used all in wine and bandaged up his wounds. And the fact that the inn was so important to house this person in recovery. And the last thing was loving your neighbor don't get you eternal life. So let's look at the story with a new set of eyes, shall we? Luke 10.30, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went leaving him half dead. Now Jesus, when he says a certain man, or there was a certain father, or there was a, he always says these certain, when he tells stories, you'll see that he uses those terms because he's wanting you to see that he's talking about something specific. Now, a certain man, the Hebrew word for man is what? Okay, Adam. The Hebrew word for Adam is man. So there was a man that went from the place of Jerusalem fell to the place of Jericho. Now, Jerusalem represents the place of God. When you look at the story with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they you see all kind of stories that came from Jerusalem. If you look at 2 Chronicles 6.6, 6, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people. 2 Kings 21.4, I will put Jerusalem, in Jerusalem I will put my name. Let's look, I want to show you a picture that was taken from an overhead shot of Jerusalem. That's the name Yahweh written into the top of a mountain that has been there for years and years. So his name is literally there. Now look at, I want you to see another picture. This is the valley. Now, the valley of Jerusalem makes the letter Shin. How many of you have ever seen this? Star Trek didn't come up with this. Okay? That's the 21st letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Which, you ever heard the word El Shaddai? That Shin is the Shaddai, the, the Shah. Everybody say Shah. That's the beginning of his name. This, le- this letter is in, if you ever seen the, Jew- in, in the Jewish people, they have what they call a little prayer box. They put that letter in there. And it's for Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, our God is one. So if you look at this, this is a picture of Jerusalem. That's the letter Shin for the valleys. So this is telling the Jewish people that I'm with you on the mountaintop and I'm with you in the valley. That's what he's telling you also. 
No matter what experience you're going through, he's with you on the mountaintop and he's with you in the valley. I want you to see another picture that I thought was really cool. This is the letter Shin and this is the human heart. It makes the letter Shin in the human heart. Doesn't the Bible say that God has written his law upon our hearts? So if you think about this, listen, the Shema prayer, which is a prayer that they would pray, the Israelites would write God's commandment on their hearts. Deuteronomy 6.6. Now, it takes the shape of a human heart. The lower large left ventricle supplies the full body, and the smaller right ventricle supplies the lungs. And my friend Jeremy right here does autopsies. He would be able to tell you that. (laughs) He's like, oh, man. (laughs) But seriously, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to to end. Now, this is what, when they do a priestly prayer, they do, they, when they pray over people, they pray, this is the letter that they do. It's not a shack thing. <laughs> you don't know shack? He would do that. This is a prayer. So when you ever see people in Israel, they hold their hands up and it's the priestly blessing. See, the letter shin is the word that they don't want to say. It's the unsay, it's the name of God that they don't want to say, lest they say it wrong. So that's when you understand the Hebrew, which I don't all the way, but those are the things that I, I begin to understood, understand. So Jerusalem is, is the place, literally, where God dwells. Now, there's three mountains. I want to drive the point home even further. Believe it or not, there's three mountains in Jerusalem. Mount Ophel, and that word means my fortress, my tower, or stronghold. Now, who does the Bible say that is? That's God the Father. And then there's Moriah, and it literally means to see God. This was also the place where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Remember, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then you have Mount Zion. Everybody's heard of Mount Zion. It means mark or pillar. Ephesians 1.13 says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So even in the mountains of Jerusalem and the valleys, you see the name of God. You see the awesomeness of God. I see some of you are not impressed. The fact remains, Jerusalem is the city of God. It always will be the city of God. And it does not matter if people fuss and fight over it. God Almighty rules and he will have the last say when the dust settles. Now, Jericho is, is the cursed city. If you, re- if you read in Jericho, in 626, Joshua took an oath at the time saying, Cursed be before the Lord is the man who rises up to build the city of Jericho. When the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of the youngest, he shall set up its gates. And then you see it happening in First Kings. So even in the days of Jesus, it was a wicked city. I can tell you this for a fact. I went to, when I went to Israel, when you go to Jericho, you have Tel Aviv, which looks like California. You go down the street, you have Jericho that looks like a war-torn city. There was one of the, uh, the, the tour guides that said, you know, somebody tried to build this city as a tourist attraction 30 years ago, and the first son died. There's still a curse on that city. And he said, surely the curse of God is still upon this this city. It's a story that is told often about the city of Jericho. And if you go there, it still looks like a basically a heap. 
Now listen, Adam is the federal head of mankind. So man fell from the place of God to a cursed city in Luke 1030. And he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. Now remember, man was clothed in the glory of God. When Adam was in the garden, he was clothed in the glory of God. Satan came in. Remember that? Deceived him. He was, what, what happened? He died spiritually. He still lived for another 900 years, but he was half dead. The whole human race got sucked into the curse at that moment, at that time. Satan and his forces come to steal, kill, and destroy. And many of you can attest to that because that's what he tries to do to you. That's what he tries to do to your family. But God Almighty is our deliverer. So if you continue to go further in the story, Luke 10, 31, and by chance a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now a priest is someone who represents God to man and man to God. Who do you think did that? That was Moses. Remember when Moses had the Ten Commandments, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments, he went down. They, they got the word whether or not they were going to try to keep the commandments. And they said, go tell God that we will do this. And they didn't. But Moses was the representative between God and man. And he was considered the first priest. Now, when you look in the, am I boring you? This is fun. When you look at the, the Mount, when, when Elijah and Moses came down, remember, and Peter and them were like, man, we need to build some altars. And Jesus was like, nah, don't do all that. Moses was representing the priest, and Elijah was representing the prophets. Now, when you look at this situation, why did this priest not even walk where this man was? Because law cannot fix man's spiritual condition. So he didn't even go and deal with this. God had just given him the law, but no method to make it happen. Luke 10, 32. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Levite came out of Aaron, which was the older brother of Moses. The Levite priesthood, that's where they got the sacrificial system. Remember, they, they were able to interact with God during this time through the tabernacle, through, through the temple. Remember when Adam fell, they tried to hide themselves with, with, uh, fig leaves. But God came, slew an animal, and put that upon them to cover their nakedness. Remember that? Well, the Levite represents the fact that it was an attempt. He came, if you read it in the King James, it says that when he came, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and then passed by on the other side. So at least the, the Levite came to uh, try to address the situation, but there was nothing he can do spiritually for him. He could not raise him up out of his condition. But if you continue on in the story, Luke 10, 33, but a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, felt compassion. Now remember, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds, part Gentile and part Jewish. Remember there was a, a story in Luke 10, 33, a certain Samaritan was on a journey. I'm sorry, John 4, 9, a certain woman, she was at the well. Jesus came up to her, wanted a, a drink uh, of water. And what happened? She said, how can you even talk to me? We're not even supposed to talk to each other. Remember, John, James and John, they showed up in the area and they was like, hey, Jesus, I got an idea. Why don't we just call fire down on these people and destroy them? 
They were hated by the Jewish people. The Samaritan was a half-breed. Now, who do you think this is a picture of in the story? There was a half-breed, Jesus, fully God, fully man, despised by the Jews, despised by the Pharisees. You see, when you keep going in the story, you, you see the spiritual analogy and you see you're unveiling eternal life. You're unveiling who the neighbor is. You're unveiling the spiritual truth of answering both questions. Remember, the Samaritan came where he was. Jesus came where we were. He came to our situation. Luke 10, 34. And he came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring all in wine on them. He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn to take care of him. Now remember, this man was stripped of everything and the Samaritan gave what he had out of his own self. He used his bandages, used his oil, used his wine. This man had nothing. He was stripped, robbed, left half dead. The law cannot bring you back. The, the sacrificial system cannot bring you back. Remember the oil. Look at the, 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 the bandages. Jesus said that he came to what? Bind up the brokenhearted. He came to fix our, our physical being. He came to fix our spiritual being. The all in wine. What is the oil in the Bible? The oil was used to, to pour on, to anoint to king, to a king. Remember the menorah. That was the, the, the seven branch candlestick that was in the, uh, in the tabernacle. That oil had to be in there so it would produce light. If that were to go out, you couldn't see where you're going. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, what about the wine? If you read in 1 Corinthians, he says, the wine is my blood. So it's a picture. What happens when you, when, when Jesus comes upon the scene? He takes you. He heals you. He saves you. Why? How? By the blood. And he infills you with the Holy Spirit. So you see that Jesus is teaching them something that they could not see because they were veiled by law. Now, this is another thing. The man came down off of his beast and put him there. Now, remember the, remember that Jesus came down off of his high place. He came out of heaven, came to where we were. And the Bible says that we're seated in heavenly places. And then he took the man and put him on his own beast. And then the Bible says he walked beside him. The Holy Spirit walks beside us. Remember John said of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who is here to take away the sins of the world. Do you see the story that is unfolding with the Samaritan? And it's more than go love your neighbor. Because you got to cross out eternal life. You think Jesus would pass up on a chance to tell someone about eternal life. If I were to stand before you and tell you, listen, if you want to go to heaven, love your neighbor. I would be guilty of teaching a false gospel. And I would be held accountable before the Lord. Jesus is perfect, sinless, and spotless. And he would never mix words. Remember in Matthew 13, 10 through 13. This is why he told parables. And, and he says, and the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, to you it has been granted the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. 
But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This guy was steeped in law, and Jesus was like, I'm going to teach the gospel, even though he doesn't see it. Mark 4.33, and with many such parables, he spoke to them as they were able to hear. Remember the question he asked early, how do you hear? This is what he's saying. How do you perceive? How do you perceive what is being said? Remember, he taught deep things. Now, if you keep going, I'm going to kind of speed up the story. He takes him to an inn. Remember, there was a, there's a, not the first time you've heard of the inn. There was a place and there was no room for Jesus in the inn. But Jesus is, the se- this is the second time you hear about an inn and he takes him there. You see, Jesus should have had a place to stay. But he didn't. But now we have a place to stay. What do you think the inn is? When you, when you come to the Lord, the church's responsibility is to nurture you, empower you, equip you. If you think about it, this is the inn, the Bible, in what the story is talking about. Remember, Jesus took this man, healed him, saved him, empowered him, and then took him to the inn. Remember, listen, Luke 10, 35. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to them, to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now, remember in the other parables, the Bible says that a denarius was a day's wage. Remember that? We, we, we talked about this a couple weeks back, maybe even last year when we were going through some parables. Now, remember, it's interesting that Peter says, a day is as a thousand years. So this Samaritan said, hey, I'm coming. I'm going to give you two denarius. I'm going. And when I come back, I will repay you. Who else said that? See, I want you to see your life groups, the things that your small groups, the places that you meet with people, that's the end for you. Jesus is telling you, I'm saving some people, and I'm, I'm going to bring them to your life group. I'm going to bring them to your church. And I want you to know, whatever it is that you spend, whatever it is that you pour into them, don't worry about it. I'm keeping track in heaven. I know every single thought, word, and deed. I know everything that is going on. I know every time you gave them a napkin, something to drink, I'm recording it, and I pay very well. Amen. Praise God. Revelation 22, 12, and 13. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, I want you to understand that if you're, if you're sitting here in the audience during this time, it's probably going over your head if all you see is law. But when you look at the fact of what Jesus is doing, remember, he told parables to expose truth that they did not yet see. And so when you, when you look at the story, it comes to a climax with a question. Luke 10, 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said, go do the same. So you read that story and you say, okay, I got mercy shown to me. God helped me on the side of the road. Now I'm going to go change a tire. You think that this huge story, when you break it down, it, it comes down to works? 
Do you think this guy is sitting there thinking like, well, I'm just going to go do all these nice things? No, Jesus is teaching a principle. Didn't you, wasn't, wasn't you on the side of the road at one time? Beaten, left for half dead. Some of you may be there right now. Beaten, half dead. You've tried everything. You've tried going to church. You've tried doing this. You've tried grabbing onto this law. You tried doing this. I mean, there's an endless amount of things that we try to do. And Jesus is answering two questions. Did he not just show you the gospel from beginning to end, from the fall all the way to his return? And what Jesus is telling us is I'm on the scene. I am doing something. I'm saving people. And when I bring them to you, you continue to give them the same grace that I gave you. What I showed you, what I, what I delivered that, what I delivered you from, I want you to go and do likewise. Do you see that who is the neighbor? The neighbor is Jesus. And with, you see, you can't love God in and of yourself. You can't keep the law. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. But Jesus did. And Jesus is the one that empowers you to love God with all your heart. Jesus is the one that empowers you to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you don't do it right or you don't do it 100% of the time, Jesus is in heaven and saying, that's okay because I have done that. I have done that for you. I am the law keeper and in me you keep the law. Now, out of gratitude and joy, I don't know about you, I'm happy I'm saved. I'm, I know where I came from. I know the things that I've done. And I am so happy when I can go to someone and say, look, I know exactly what you're dealing with. And I know a man who can save your soul, put you on, on rock solid ground, raise you up and put you on a platform to be able to tell other people how good God is. When you, when you lose your father and he's able to take you through that and continually move you forward and, and shout the glories of God. Cause one day the trump's going to sound and then we're going to leave this earth. And split the skies and be with Jesus Christ, who is the one who empowers us, keeps us, holds us, walks with us, works in our lives. <laughs> so listen, the question is, whose neighbor am I? Everybody you come around. That's the practical application, the second layer of the story. But how? Yeah, but how? Listen, you come across people you and you love them to death. You love them with the love that Jesus Christ gave you because other than that, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not. You love God with every, every ounce of power that Jesus Christ gives you and you, and you go through every circumstance because he got you. He didn't put you on his beast. You are seated, seated at the right hand of God. All power has been given unto you. You can have his name. You can have his, the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you every single day of your life. Or can we stand? I just want to end with this. Jesus was telling this guy, the law that you're trying to keep will not help you love your neighbor. It won't help you love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? He was a wrong spirit, wrong attitude. Jesus presents the gospel. And if you could only grasp the gospel, you would understand that in and of yourself, you can't give anybody anything. But in Christ, you can give them everything. When you speak, when you quote a scripture to someone that's going through something, it's not the fact that you could enunciate it. It's when the power of God moves on that scripture and it penetrates the heart and begins to heal the soul. 
And then that person goes out and helps people that are on the side of the road, that are broke down, beat, disgusted with life. See, that's the point that I want you to get from tonight's service. What Jesus did for you, go out and do likewise. Say, look, I know what you're going through because I've been there. But this is what Jesus did. And this is what he can do for you. And my, so my question is, are you being a responsible innkeeper? Are you discipling the people God has brought to you? Do you think you're just running across people? You think God's up there like, man, oh, maybe them two could hook up. No, God has in his mind. I want this one to talk to this one. I want this group to talk to this group. I, I raised you up together so one day you can talk and discuss. That's what God does. He orchestrates all of these divine appointments. And the only thing that you have to show someone is the power that Jesus Christ has done in your own life. So maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've blown. I haven't even looked at anything about being an innkeeper. I haven't been responsible with anybody the Lord has given me. My own family. I got kids I'm not even telling the gospel about. Come on. My wife don't even know anything about the gospel. My husband is clueless about the gospel. I just keep my mouth shut. Well, is it burning? Do you realize that you've been healed, that your heart has been bound up, that you're anointed with the Holy Spirit, that you're saved by the blood of Jesus? And if that's not enough to empower you, you need to get saved. I'm serious. Listen, when God gets a hold of you, oh, you dropping toys. <laughs> you, you running. You're not staying in the same things. Because listen, listen. The Bible has every answer that you need. God wants to show you. He wants to unveil. When you read your Bible, you're not like, I read my chapter today. Listen, you reading because the words of God are leaping off the page and changing your life. You know what this story did for me? It made me love Jesus so much more. It made me want to be a better neighbor. It made me want to be a better innkeeper. Come on, don't you need power to do that? Reflect on what he's done for you. And maybe you could say, I've been on the, the road, half dead. I don't even know what you're talking about. I want to see your hand. And I want to ask you right now, if you were to die today, where would you go? Listen, this is not about religion. It's about saying, God, I'm, bro I'm broke up. I'm busted. I'm disgusted with myself. And I need you. I need you to save me, change me, clean me, wash me, and, and use me, God. This is what I have left. This is what I have, and I'm giving it to you. Amen. Come on, some of you may need that tonight. I know it's a Wednesday night. Many people are already walking with the Lord. I want to encourage you. As you leave here, put a fire down on the inside. Reflect on where you came from. Some of you should be dead today, but God has spared you over and over and over. Satan has tried to kill you over and over, and yet you still stand. That's God Almighty guiding you. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Embrace the Son of God and walk in power. And when this thing is all over, you will stand on the streets of glory with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And everything that you've ever dealt with will be so small in comparison to the glory and power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight. For your word, God, we thank you for what you've done in this service. 
God, I ask that you would empower your people to, to remember, Lord, that we are your spokesperson, God, that we are your ambassadors, God, that we desire to bring the news, the good news, that we don't have to stay on the side of the road, that we can keep moving forward. We can be empowered to walk in power and might, that no, no devil in hell can come against us, can destroy us, can defeat us. No addiction, no bondage, no sin can hold on to us because we are free and the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you right now. I ask that you would bless everyone here tonight as they go their separate ways. God, revive that fire, Lord, on the inside of them, God. We honor you. We thank you tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Praise God.